0: Well, this morning we come to chapter 43 in our study of Genesis. So please go ahead and open your Bibles up there. Genesis chapter 43. In chapter 42, the famine was underway in the land and Jacob, also known as Israel, had prodded his boys to get up and do something. And we talked about that last week, how they were just kind of, sitting around during this time of the famine. And Jacob said, don't just sit there looking at each other, get up and do something. So he told them to head down to Egypt and go and buy food because he had heard that there was grain there. So they went down there and when they got there, Joseph, of course, their brother, who who they didn't recognize, but Joseph recognized them as his brothers, and he seized on the opportunity to try and help them. Um, however, like I said, he did not let them know who he was, but he spoke to them roughly, we're told, and he accused them of being spies, and he locked up Simeon and sent the rest of the brothers back with the food and with money to go get their youngest brother Benjamin. But when they got there, when they got back to their homeland, their father, Israel, would not let them go back with Benjamin. So they stayed back there for a while. And that's where we'll pick up the story today in chapter 43. And it says, Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. So what happens here, what we see taking place is the supplies, the food supply was running low for them. So Israel realizes that if they don't restock on the food, it won't be long before there'll be a real problem with hunger. So now he wants his boys to to get up and go back down to Egypt again and buy some more food. And then in verse 3, But Judah spoke to him, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Now remember, Joseph is the one that's being referred to there when it says the man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. But Joseph is the one in control of the distribution of the food down there in Egypt. So they have no choice if they want to get some food, they have no choice but to go back and to see Joseph again. And they now have proclaimed, uh, you know, or have procrastinated, excuse me, in this matter as long as they can. Their, Their food is running low now. So, but Judah steps up to his father Israel here, and he reminds his father that if they go back to Egypt, they need to take their youngest brother, Benjamin, with them. So Judah continues speaking here in verse four, and he says, if you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. So now look, this is not a, a common thing here. This wasn't a common thing in those days for a son to defy his father in this way. But Israel needed to understand that there was nothing else that could be done to change this situation. Okay? It was what it was. And I want you to begin, though, to take notice of something here in regards to this man, Judah. We will see over the next couple of chapters, not today, but next week included, we'll see that Judah is not the man that he once was. He is now a changed man. Remember, if you remember back in Genesis chapter 37, it was uh, Judah's idea to... um, not kill Joseph after they threw him into the pit, but it was Judah's idea to say, hey, let's sell him into slavery. Let's sell our brother, okay? Then after they sold Joseph into slavery, and we went into chapter 38, we saw where the story changed, and it became, chapter 38 became all about the life of this man, Judah, and Judah wasn't a very good man. Um... Again, he sold his brother. It was his idea to sell Joseph into slavery, the one that would be, end up being, as we know, his physical savior. And then he went about to live a, a life of sin in chapter 38 we saw. Um, a story, though, that would describe many people on the earth today. They cast Jesus aside to live their life the way they want to live it. And that's the picture that was painted for us in chapter 38 in regards to this man, Judah. But again, I just want you to pay attention to Judah over the next couple of chapters, uh, and I really encourage you that maybe you could read on into chapter 44 today. But he is a changed man. Um, he is back living now near his father again, and uh, we, we will see that he will display some integrity of character. But here we see Judah at this point, he's stepping up to his father. And then in verse six, it says, And Israel said, Why did you deal so wrongly with me as to tell the man whether you still had another brother? But they said, The man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him, according to these words, Could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down. Now, of course, there was a reason that Joseph knew what he knew, wasn't there? Because Joseph had insight that there was another brother, because he knew there was another brother, for it was his brother, his full brother. But Israel is troubled here by all of this. This is a hard time in his life, and he is an old man. He doesn't want to let Benjamin go and risk losing yet another son because he now has a son. Well, he's lost Joseph, we know, right? But he also has a son in prison down in Egypt now, Simeon. So he doesn't want to risk this. Verse eight, Then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered surely by now, we would have returned this second time. So pause right there because you, re- you may remember that... Uh, Last week, Reuben, the eldest son, also stepped up and made kind of a a similar plea. Reuben said to his father, we studied it last week, where he said, "'Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you.'" But the time wasn't right for that, and and Israel didn't allow for that to happen. He didn't let them go at that time to go back down there to Egypt to, to try and get more food or to get Benjamin, really. But the time is right now, and it's Judah here that we see putting himself on the line. Judah said that he would bear the blame forever if anything happened to Benjamin. And verse 11 continues and says, And their father said to them, If it must be so, then do this. So in other words, Israel is finally to the point where he realizes there's no choice. He can't put up a fight anymore. They have to do what they have to do. And he gives them some instructions and he says, the verse continues there, he says, take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio, nuts and almonds. So again, we saw in verse one where it says the famine was severe in the land. There wasn't much food left for them in regards to grain, right? Right. Um, There was plenty of food in Egypt, and that was because of the wisdom that God had given to Joseph. But the things that we see listed here in this verse are mostly things that would grow on the trees like pistachios and almonds and such. And these roots were deeper in the ground and could probably still produce for a little while at least, whereas the famine had tore up all the other land and cracked the land and all that. But they did have a a little bit here, but nothing that they could sustain life off of. So they decided to make a little gift out of these things and send this back down to Egypt to give to the man, the one they keep calling the man. But Israel doesn't know this is his son. And they don't know this is their brother. And he says in verse 12, Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks, Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise and go back to the man. Now, if you remember, they had been given their money back unknowingly when they took off last time, but this was probably the toughest thing that had to come out of the mouth of Israel here, telling them to go ahead and take Benjamin with them and go back to Egypt. Then in verse 14, and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So again, Israel understands that he's in a spot where there's nothing else he can do. If he loses Benjamin, he loses Benjamin. This is a time of desperation. And you know, even in our lives today, there are decisions that we have to make that aren't all that fun sometimes, especially as they pertain to doing things that have to be done but have the possibility of unfavorable consequences when we make those choices. You know, last week I equated this famine that we're reading about here in Genesis to a spiritual famine in our day and age. And desperate times call for desperate measures. To follow Christ, you have to step up and to make a decision and to let go of the things of this world. And for many people, that's a difficult decision, right? Because maybe certain philosophies that have been ingrained in them, you know, certain things about their religion or whatever it may be, makes them comfortable where they are. And maybe people have grown up always looking at life, at life in a certain way, but their eyes then become open to the word of the Lord and you find out that you need to go deeper. And the word of God cuts through to you and you find out that you, that you need to grow and there's some place you can grow too, and you need to change. And the word of God will do that in our lives. It tells us that it's profitable for that in our lives, for correction, for rebuke, for instruction in righteousness, okay? And, but it may be hard to let go of what you want to hold on to. But in the end of this story here, we'll find that God is working things out for good, for, for Israel, for his family. For these people and for the one that is committed to Christ today God is working out things for our good as well but he wants us surrender to him and completely trusting in him and seeking him even when the decision is hard and not holding on to things that are dear to us but just trusting in him that it's going to work out so verse 15 says so the men took that present and Benjamin and they took double money in their hand and arose and went down to Egypt. And they stood before Joseph. Okay, so now keep in mind the timeline here. It wasn't as if this were a one day travel, right? Uh, it took some time for them to travel down to Egypt. So there's a lot of time passing by. And when you're reading through the book of Genesis like this, it doesn't tell you all the time that's passing by. So, but just keep in mind as you're reading it that, you know, it's not just happening the next day, the next day, the next day, right? These kids have grown up. These these brothers that we're talking about here are in their 40s. They're all, they're all somewhere in their 40s, as is Joseph, probably around 41 years old, if you were to do the math, you know, uh, that we do have in the Bible. You know, that's about their age right now. But the story in the Bible fast forwards for us, and now here they are again in the presence of Joseph. And then in verse 16, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my home, and slaughter an animal, and make ready. For these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid, because they were brought into Joseph's house, and they said, It is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are being brought in so that he may make a case against us and fall upon us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. When they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house. So picture the scene. They're being ready to be taken in. They're worried. They're scared. What's happening here? And they stop and they talk to the steward at the door, right? and said, verse 20, and said, Oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. But it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks, and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight, so we have brought it back in our hand, And we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. So they're totally, you know, presumptuous here as to what about is what about to take place, but they don't know. They're afraid, okay? So these brothers, they're nervous, and and to say the least here, they don't have any idea why they're being taken to Joseph's house, and they're fearing the worst. So they talk to the steward, and then in verse 23 here, the steward replies to them. But he said, "'Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money.'" Then he brought Simeon out to them. So this steward here knows the situation. And he knows that God's hand is upon these people and upon this situation. They were worried because somehow the first time that they, they came to Egypt to buy food, they, they paid for it. But like again, like I said earlier, somehow their money ended up back with them. And the steward, though, assures them that all is well. There's no need to be afraid. And he releases their brother, Simeon, who, he had, who, had, who they had put in prison. You see, the truth of the matter is here is that God was their provider. That's what stands out to me in what the stewards said to them. He is the one that took care of their needs and God is the one that takes care of our needs as well. You know, there's a recipe for dealing with stress. Because as I look at these, um, these men here and how they're worried and they're, they're fretting, oh no, what's going to happen? And uh, you know, are we going to be made slaves? And all of this and all of these things, or all these thoughts are running through their minds. And that can happen to us as well in this life. If we allow our, our thoughts to run away with circumstances and say, oh no, this is happening. Now that means this is going to happen. And then that means this is going to happen. And we begin to play God. And what happens is anxiety comes into our lives and fear and worry and such. But there's a recipe for this given to us in the book of Philippians. So I want you to mark this page here. And I want you to turn toward the back of your Bibles and find the New Testament book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. You find 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, then it's Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. And then let's look down and start reading in verse 6. So Philippians 4, 6. Very familiar verses of Scripture to many of us. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer, And supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So, what we see being prescribed to us here is trusting in God. The Lord doesn't want us worrying, He wants us trusting in Him, submitting all things to Him in prayer. And while doing so, We are doing so with a thankful heart. Picture a child with their parents, and the parents have done all they can in this child's life to provide food, clothing, and shelter, and such. The child really has all that they need, but they decide that they don't have all they want. They they, they, they have all they need, but picture a little child that just says, I don't have all I want. So they go to their parents and they say, I want this. And the child acts like it's the end of the world if they don't get what they want, right? But the parent's job is not to give a child all that they want, but rather to provide the child with all that they need. And these are two different things. But if that child approaches their parents with a true heart, with a heart of uh, thankfulness. And they say to their parents, you have provided all that I need. Thank you so very much, but I have a desire for this one thing that I'd like to have. Do you think it'd be okay if I have this? Now, if a child came to a parent and said that, after the parent picked themselves off off the floor from fainting, that the child's (laughs) actually saying that, right? The parents could give a responsible answer. But you see, the truth of the matter is is that this is what God does. He supplies all of our needs and not our greeds. And that's a big difference. And we may say, well, I'm not greedy. Well, in some way we all are. Because we think we want things or we think we need things that we don't need. God knows our needs and He wants to supply our needs, but not our greeds. And so often we get taken away with our greeds. Okay. And if you look down in this chapter at verse 19, so staying in the same chapter and looking down at verse 19, Paul says to these Philippian believers, "And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus." So this is God, this is where God wants all of his children. He wants us content in Christ. Right? At peace in Jesus Christ, trusting that He is working things out in our lives for our good. And this is what we are taught in this Old Testament story that we're reading, and in many Old Testament stories, really, that God's will will be done in the lives of people that are called according to His purpose, people that submit to His will. And when you come to Christ, When you surrender your all to Him, right, in other words, you have put your hand to the plow, as Jesus said, and you don't look back, and you're seeking the kingdom of God first. Then by His Spirit, He makes His home in our hearts, and then also by His Spirit, He begins to lead and to guide us through this life. But so often, our ears, the ears of our heart are turned off to the voice of the Spirit because we're too busy focused on the things that we want and that we desire, and we, and we put these things in the way of what God really wants in our lives. But we have to give God our complete focus. This is what He wants, realizing that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And we are to have a thankful heart and a contented heart, not seeking after more and more things in this world. While we're here in the New Testament, let's turn to the book of 1 Timothy. It's to the right of where we are now. And if you find one book that begins with the letter T, you can find them all in your Bible because they're all together. We're looking for 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we'll look down at verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. You know, there's a question, an old question that's asked that says, Have you ever seen a U-Haul at a funeral? No one takes their stuff with them, right? (laughs) No one takes anything with them. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Right? Because there is a simplicity that that many professing Christians are missing in this life. And the reason they're missing that contented simplicity is because their eyes are focused on too many things in this world. Too many worries. When Jesus himself sat down and said, take no thought for tomorrow, which you shall eat, which you shall wear, which you shall put on. He said, sufficient for today are the troubles thereof. You see, this is the, the place of peace where Christ wants us, and we can have that, and we can trust in him and know that he will supply all of our needs. And verse 9 here says, as we read on, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now that word perdition there is just a word that means utter destruction or to perish but the mentality here that this verse portrays to us is just that mentality of that person that's just seeking after more and more in this world. You know, that lottery mentality that says, I can be on easy street. I can have all I want. I I can have the house I want. I can have the car I want. And oh yeah, God, I'll, I'll give some money too, of course, but I can have all I want. Right? But this leads to the destruction of a person's soul. I'm not talking about a person going to hell. I'm not talking about a person being lost for eternity even because what we see here is just your soul gets destroyed because you get worried. You get focused on all the wrong things and you're not content and at peace with what God provides. And you're not in a place where you're saying, Lord, not my will. Your will be done. You know my needs today, Lord. I submit my life to you. Right? So we ended up getting focused on all the wrong things. And God doesn't need us to be there. He doesn't want us to be there. Verse 10 goes on and says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. Think of that. Some people stray away from the faith because of their greediness. They're they're looking for other things. That's what money will do. You see, money can prevent God's will from being done in your life if you're pursuing after it. And it says, And they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. So do you see the difference here? Do you see the contrast? The the person of God, the man, the woman of God that flees from chasing the things of this world right? those are the. That's what leads a person to, to greediness and, and to many sorrows, right? because they take on debt to get the things they want, or they blow their money trying to strike it rich quick in some way, shape, or form, so that they can have all they want in this life. But the contrast here, the difference is, is what we see in verse 11. The person of God, the man, the woman of God, is the person that is pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. These are the things that God wants us to seek after, and He supplies our needs. And so many times, though, we're chasing after our greeds, we're chasing after the things we want, and then when it's not happening, and we're not making ends meet, and our focus is all wrong, we begin to cry out to God and say, God, I need you to provide this, I've got to have this. I need you to do this, I need you. And we're stressed and we're losing our soul and we're losing our peace and we're losing our contentedness. And these things don't exist in our lives like godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Because these are the things though that will lead to peace in our hearts and will lead to us being thankful before God. We must understand that God does not work in our lives through the things of this world. His work in our lives is an internal work. His spirit at work within us then causes us to live this external life that we now live in a very different way. Our pursuits are different and we find contentment and we find peace and we find simplicity while we rest in the fact that God provides. And as we flip back to Genesis, We have the full picture here, and we can learn from this story that God was doing something in the lives of these people. He was taking care of them, okay? And we see the brothers fretting and worrying, oh no, what's going to happen to us? We're going to be sold into slavery. They're going to take everything and, you know, all of this from us, right? But the steward was the one that reminded them that God's hand was upon their lives. The steward was the one that said, God is taking care of you, and He's given you what you need. They were worried, and they were in fear, but God was providing. And back in Genesis now, chapter 43, verse 24, we'll pick up the story again. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave their donkeys feed. Then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, and they heard that they would eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present, which was in their hand into the house, and bowed down before him to the earth. So now the dream of Joseph was truly fulfilled, because now all of his brothers had bowed before him, including Benjamin. The rest of them came before and bowed before him, But it wasn't all of them, it wasn't Benjamin as well. Verse 27, then he asked them about their well-being and said, is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they answered, your servant, our father is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Then he lifted his eyes, And he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and he said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now just pause right there for a moment because this is a powerfully emotional scene that has taken place. And I'll tell you, I've always had a problem reading through this. So reading it out loud is hard for me. (laughs) This, This chapter and the next chapter. But... Joseph looks at Benjamin and he just softly says to him, God be gracious to you, my son. He is saying this from a heart of love. Verse 30, now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and he wept there. Then he washed his face and came out and he restrained himself and said, serve bread, serve the bread. So they So they set him a place by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. So if you kind of want to picture the scene here, it seems uh, as if there is a head table that Joseph is sitting at and his brothers are at a table before him. and And the rest of the Egyptians at the meal are sitting around at another table because they don't want to sit near these dirty sheep herding Hebrews it's abomination to them right verse 33 and they sat before him the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth and the men looked in astonishment at one another so the brothers here are just amazed at something that they're seeing that's taking place before their eyes in their, in their minds, they can't understand right now. How is it that Joseph or anyone there, for that matter, could have known their birth order? How did they do this? How did they set them up in the right order of their age? This was unfathomable to them. They're just looking around. They're astonished, like we're sitting in order of our age here. How does anybody here know this? Our age, our you know? So they're sitting from the oldest to the youngest. Then verse 34 Then he took servings to them from before him. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. So Joseph and the brothers are having a good time at dinner. But it must have been rather strange to see Benjamin get such a huge portion of food. What was Joseph doing? Is he simply showing favor to Benjamin because of the fact that this is his full brother? Or could it be that Joseph was maybe testing them? You see, these brothers had once had a problem with pride, with jealousy, with envy. They once hated their younger brother, Joseph, because he had received special favor from their father. And were they still the same men that they used to be? Or were they different now? Uh, We will see next week that they are indeed different now. They're not the men that they used to be. And we will see again next week, and I do encourage you this week, before we gather next week, to read chapter 44, because you'll see that Judah will step up in a big way. But we can learn a lot as we read through these chapters in the Old Testament. There's a lot that can jump out to you. And today we see just kind of to recap it, that they didn't need to fret, they didn't need to worry, God was with them. God was on their side. God takes care of their needs. And the question for us, the challenge for us as we go through this life, is do we understand that fact in our lives on a daily basis? Do we understand that that God will provide our needs? Or have we allowed ourselves to get so caught up in pursuing after other things? chasing after the things that we want and not making our primary focus. Remember, Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. God knows we have need of things. Jesus said that as well. But God wants our focus and our hearts to be on Him. He wants us to be His servants first and foremost. So, God is indeed working all things out for good in our lives, and that's what we can see here from this story. And we'll stop here for today, and we'll go ahead and study chapter 44 next week. But let's pray. Lord God, again, we thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that your word is indeed a love letter to us, You have not left us comfortless. You have not left us alone. You have a purpose. You have a plan. You have a will. You have a desire for each one of our lives, Lord. And ultimately, though, Lord, we so often can stray. We can begin to allow our eyes and our ears and our hearts to wander. And to be so far off track from the simplicity of just knowing you, Jesus. And realizing that you will supply all of our needs. So often, Lord, our greeds and our desires for other things choke out your word. Choke out the truth of your word in our lives, Lord. And we miss it. And sometimes we need to just examine ourselves as to whether we're in the faith. And we need to pause and and stop and say, what are my eyes focused on? Because we all desire simplicity, Lord. We all desire peace and contentment but lord so much of our world today and so many people of the world today are filled with anxieties and worries and stress and fear lord when you are not the author of any of this any of this and that is not your desire for us but lord i pray that you will help us to turn our eyes upon you more and more lord to fix our eyes upon you and your will for our lives. God, we thank you for this day. We pray that as we go forth into a new week, your will would be done in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen.